Oral questions by members? Leader of the Official Opposition. Thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, once again, NDP incompetence is on full display as we witness the latest mess in Surrey continuing to unfold. Now, to begin with, uh, they gave the green light to a policing plan that included 18 months of severance pay for a mere six months' worth of work. Now they can't even make a decision, dragging their feet while confusion and chaos and costs spiral out of control. And yet it's Surrey residents that are paying the price for this, facing a, up to a 20% property tax increase, the largest property tax increase in Surrey's history. Enough is enough, Mr. Speaker. The Premier must explain his failure to protect Surrey taxpayers. So when will the Premier stop delaying and start doing his job, or is he content to let the people of Surrey pay for his government's indecision and incompetence, Mr. Speaker? Minister of Public Safety and Solicitor General. Thank you. Uh, Honourable Speaker, and I thank the member for his question. And I want to start off by pointing out uh, um, where he's factually wrong. His colleagues were wrong yesterday, and he is wrong today. Contracts are negotiated by the City of Surrey, the Police Department, not by the Provincial Government. It's the same whether it's New Westminster, Delta, Port Moody, or Vancouver, or for that matter, the RCMP. We do not sign off and we do not oversee them. So, uh, Honourable Speaker, his colleagues were wrong yesterday and he's wrong on that today. Um, what I want to assure the member, though, is that Surrey has decided to move to a... Um, that they want to go back to the RCMP, RCMP police force. Uh, and as the member will know, uh, the original decision by the previous Surrey Council was to go to a Surrey police service. Um, a decision which I note that the Honourable Member supported uh, when he said that he hoped to see a, uh, we will work hard for a smooth and successful transition for Surrey's own local police force, Honourable Speaker. The Council has changed its mind, which they are entitled to do. My responsibility as Solicitor General is to ensure that there is a plan, an orderly transition plan that would allow that to take place. We have received an initial plan from the City of Surrey, the Surrey Police Service and the RCMP. There were gaps and information missing that were identified. We went back to them. My staff have been working closely with Surrey and the RCMP to get answers to the questions and to deal with those gaps issues. My responsibility is to ensure safe and effective policing, not just in Surrey, but in the province as a whole. My staff are working hard to ensure that that transition plan that the City of Surrey wants is able to meet that. That's the work that's underway. That's the work that needs to be done. Not rushed because the, op the leader of the opposition wants to score political points, but it's being done to ensure that we have safe, effective policing, not only in Surrey, but the rest of the province. Leader of the opposition. Well, thank you, uh, Mr. Speaker. So my question was to the Premier. Uh, because leadership is not just making announcements, it's actually making decisions. And part of the challenge is that... Members. And part of the challenge, as we've discovered, is whether it's trying to manage this legislature 
or trying to make decisions protecting taxpayers, this government apparently doesn't know what they're doing. Now this time, their incompetence has resulted in a total emerging disaster for the residents of Surrey. And this government, this NDP government, was involved every step of the way, including approving a transition plan that included 18 months of severance for six months' worth of work. And Surrey taxpayers are already paying the highest housing prices in North America. They're already paying the highest fuel taxes and fuel prices in North America. We already know from polling that up to 46% of residents are $200 a month or less away from not being able to meet their family budgets. And now under this NDP, they're facing a record almost 20% property tax increase because of their inability to stick to making a decision for the residents of Surrey. So my question is a straightforward one. Will the person responsible and who is to blame for this 20% property tax increase please stand up? Next question. Member for Abbotsford West. Surrey isn't laughing, that's for sure. Thanks, uh, Mr. Speaker. Well, a, uh, a new standard in abdication of responsibility has been set here today in the House, uh, Mr. Speaker. Um, so, so look, the, the problem the government is having is they can't have it both ways. They can't, on the one hand, try to tell the House and the people of Surrey that they were engaged in this intricate oversight process that assessed every aspect of this transitional process, and then on the other hand, deny any responsibility whatsoever for this looming astronomical tax increase that is coming. So, so, so which is it? Now, now happily, happily, to answer that question, we can go uh, to some documents from uh, the, uh, the estimates briefing binder from uh, May of last year. I don't know, Mr. Speaker, how much we paid for these. It's undoubtedly more than it used to be. <laughs> but, but, but however much we paid, um, we have them. I remember the briefing binders. You know what I remember? They were never that brief, actually. Here's what it says. Here's what the note says the government's position on Surrey policing model transition. First it says, the Policing and Security Branch's Policing Model Transition Secretariat was established in 2019 to pro provide excuse me, excuse me, leadership and ensure provincial accountabilities are maintained through the transition. In the fall of 2020, the Surrey Policing Transition tri trilateral, trilateral Committee was established to collaboratively plan and implement the service transition, including senior executives from the City, Public Safety, Canada, and the province. Then in May 22, the RCMP, Surrey Police, 
formally uh, and the committee agreed to jointly develop human resources strategy and plan and transition, which was approved by that committee that the province was on. And finally, the police and security branches policing model transition secretariat continues to play an active role in supporting and facilitating the city's policing transition, including provincial responsibilities for contract management. So, 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 Mr. Speaker, which is it? Which is it? Were the province, the Premier and his government simply asleep at the switch and let this incredible provision slide by to the detriment of the Surrey taxpayers? Or were they fully aware of it and left the Surrey taxpayers on the hook to pay astronomical tax increases? Mr. General. Thank you, uh, Honourable Speaker, and I appreciate uh, my colleague. Uh, I've come to, uh, to appreciate his efforts uh, to advance the opposition's position uh, over, uh, over our years in this place, but I, I, I want to inform him that uh, he is mistaken. That is about the service contract. That is not about the collective agreements or collect... Sorry. Member. And the negotiation, Honourable Speaker, I know we, we know what they're trying to do, uh, and unfortunately they failed yesterday and they failed again today. That's about the service contract. It is not about the individual collective agreements that are signed with the Surrey Police, which is done separately from that, Honourable Speaker. The reality is this. The City of Surrey voted to change their police force initially to go to their own municipal police force. They subsequently then said, we want to go back. They themselves have acknowledged that the costs on the return to the RCMP are entirely theirs and theirs alone. Their mayor has made it clear that the previous council is what entered into this arrangement. My responsibility, our responsibility as government to ensure that there is a plan that will ensure safe and effective policing to on, on a transition plan back to the RCMP if that's what Surrey wants to do. That's exactly what is taking place, Honourable Speaker. That's what my staff are working on, will continue to do, to ensure that we have safe and effective policing in the city of Surrey and the rest of the province. Supplemental. Mr. Speaker, lest there be any doubt, let me be very clear about what the opposition is trying to do. We're trying to find out why this government oversaw a process that has exposed the people of Surrey to massive tax increases and why no one over there will take responsibility. Speaker, we're trying to find out why Surrey MLAs on the government side have said nothing about this process as it unfolds in Please continue. The Premier, his minister, and the government can, uh, can dance around this uh, all they want. The briefing note is clear. They were. Members, please continue. <laughs> Mr. Speaker, we hear, we have heard now over the course of several question periods just how intimately 
the government purports to have been in reviewing, continuing to review, and assess every aspect of this transition. Does the minister, the premier, and the government really expect the people of Surrey to believe that despite that, they didn't turn their attention even for a moment to unprecedented levels of severance that are going to likely result in unprecedented levels of taxation increase for the Surrey, Surrey people? If that is true, then the premier, his government, should simply say so. And believe me, before people in Surrey have a chance to assess this at the civic level, they are going to have a chance to assess it at the provincial level at the next election in the province. Saw no question in that, uh, uh, sorry, saw no question in that question that they asked. So anybody still wants to make a statement? <laughs> Please proceed. Never, never pass up an opportunity, Honourable Speaker. You know, Honourable Speaker, we have watched ever since the vote on the transition in the city of Surrey, the opposition has been silent, except at the beginning where they said, this is a local government decision, Honourable Speaker. And let's be clear. The binder, the briefing notes have been available to them, and absolutely there has been superintending of the transition by my ministry, as is their statutory responsibility. But let us also be clear, Honourable Speaker, that that does not mean negotiating the uh, contracts between the City of Surrey and the police. That's done by themselves in the same way that it is done for Vancouver, for New Westminster, for Port Moody, and the RCMP. Honourable Speaker, the Deputy of Police Services, my responsibility is to ensure that that transition goes smoothly, that it abides by the agreements, that the parties are working together in a cooperative fashion. So there's a smooth transition, which is something that the Leader of the Opposition said he wanted, Honourable Speaker, when he spoke to the Punjabi media, when he said, Despite it being a local, a local issue, he said he wanted to ensure, and he said it on March 15, 2022, that he will work hard for the smooth and successful, successful transition of Surrey's own local police force, Honourable Speaker. So the Leader of the Opposition wanted to see the Surrey police force take place, but since that time, the City of Surrey said, no, we want to go back to the RCMP. We want to make sure that if the City of Surrey wants to go back, that we have safe and effective policing, that there is a plan that ensures that takes place without taking resources from Prince George or from Kelowna or the North Shore or Coquitlam, or also recognizes the challenges in that transition that involve the, the, uh, the, the getting of recruits out of the depot. And just so members understand the complications involved in this, each you seem to take, you know, the, 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 you're all very interested in it. I want you to understand some of the complexities. 900 recruits, 900 recruits on average each year, Honourable Speaker. 17% don't make it. The, those recruits then, after that 17%, have to supply the federal line, the provinces of Alberta, Manitoba, Saskatchewan, and the Maritimes. British Columbia gets about a third of them. RCMP retire. They have to fill spaces for members who want them in their community, and at the same time to be able to deal with the issues in Surrey. 
and the 277 that we want that we're hiring in this province, Honourable Speaker. That is a lot of work. My staff are doing that work, and they're doing it professionally. Leader of the Third Party. Uh, thank you, Honourable Speaker. As the member from Vancouver, Mount Pleasant, so eloquently reminded us, we have a responsibility to the most vulnerable people in our province. British Columbians with disabilities are forced to choose between buying food, putting a roof over their heads, or meeting their health care needs every single month. The rate for a person with disabilities is 16300 per year, with a $375 a month shelter allowance. Consider what it would take to try to make ends meet with that amount of money. And then consider that if you get a roommate or a spouse, these funds will be clawed back. This is legislated poverty for people with disabilities. It is a policy choice. My question, Honourable Speaker, through you is to the Premier. Will his government raise the disability rates for BC to at least the poverty line. Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and thank you to my colleague across the aisle. I'm grateful to be in this role as Minister of Social Development and Poverty Reduction. I'm grateful to carry on the work of my predecessors and, and thankful to her for raising issues that don't often get aired in this place. Uh, everybody deserves to be treated with respect and poverty and, and not live in poverty. Everybody deserves and our government is committed to having each person do their, have their very best life, um, to live in dignity, to have the security of food, of family, of housing. And our government's made poverty reduction a priority since we formed government in 2017. Since 2017, we've increased social assistance rates three times, um, including the largest ever increases in 2021. We doubled the seniors supplement, the first increase in the entire history of the benefit. We restored the minimum shelter allowance. Even with all of these increased supports and all of these changes, people are really having a hard time. Global inflation um, has hit the most vulnerable people the hardest. Um, and so we're determined to do more, and we will do more. Leader of Third Party, supplemental. Thank you, Honourable Speaker. I, I, uh, I think if this government were determined to do more and to ensure that people have dignity and that they can live their best life, the action that needs to be taken is to raise the rates that people with disabilities are living on. It's simple. It's not words, it's not victory laps, it is an action. People with disabilities are battling against record inflation, inflation, rising rents in a housing market that was already unaffordable, and a system that operates from a starting point of mistrust. People with disabilities in this province live in poverty today, and this government can make the decision and the choice to resolve that by at least raising the rates to the level of poverty, the poverty line. My question, Honourable Speaker, again is to the Premier. 
Will his government support the people who need it the most by increasing BC's disability rates and removing punitive clawbacks? Minister. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Our government wants everybody to do better. Our government has had poverty reduction at the core of its work since we formed government in 2017. We have increased the rates, uh, ones that were stalled out uh, for, um, for a very long time before. Uh, we have legislated poverty reduction. We have exceeded our legislated poverty reduction targets. That includes lifting 104,000 children out of poverty. And there is more to do. Uh, and, and we are determined to do it. Um, the throne speech speaks to our commitment to, uh, to supporting the most vulnerable people. Um, that is further work that is ahead of us, notwithstanding the action that has been taken um, year after year, the five years that we've been in government, and notwithstanding the, um, the very heavy toll of global inflation and the crushing increases in food prices, means that the people in the deepest poverty still need more help, and we are continuing to do it. House Leader of the Official Opposition. Uh, Mr. Speaker, health care in Kamloops has collapsed. Two in five or 45,000 residents without a family doctor, no walk-in clinics, a regional hospital that uh, is supposed to be a tertiary uh, hospital that serves an area of over 225,000 square kilometres and is consistently over 120% capacity, and an ER that is stretched beyond capacity every single day. Mr. Speaker, now expectant mothers and families face yet another crisis. The Thompson Region Family Obstetrics Clinic, which delivers 60% of the babies born each month in Kamloops, has just announced that it is no longer accepting any patients with due dates beyond July 31st. They've made this announcement after nearly a year of raising the alarm with this government. Mr. Speaker, this comes less than a month after another clinic, Sage Hills, also announced its impending closure. Obviously, expectant mothers are scared and they have nowhere to go. Kristen is 15 weeks pregnant and unable to obtain the prenatal care that she needs. She applied to local clinics. As soon as she found out she was pregnant, they were all unable to take her. And now, having been referred to the Thompson Region Clinic over seven weeks ago, she has discovered that the clinic is closing, leaving her without any options for prenatal care. And I would point out that she's one of the 45,000 residents in Kamloops that does not have a family doctor. She says, and I quote, I have been told I can attend our local overcrowded emergency department if I need care, end quote. Mr. Speaker, my question is to the Premier. What is the Premier going to do to urgently fix this absolutely unacceptable lack of prenatal care in a city of 110,000, the city of Kamloops? Minister of Health. Well, thank you. Honourable Speaker, as Minister of Health, I recognize that the Thompson Rivers Family Obstetrics Clinic is, is critical to the people of Kamloops, the people of the region. It's why, Honourable Speaker, that we've worked with uh, family doctors in particular over the last year to change the very funding arrangements that are one of the key sources of the problem. It's a plan that has been supported by 94% of doctors across the province. It's to move away from fee-for-service models the models that reflect the work done by people in communities. 
That is what we're doing, and I'm happy to report that more than 1,800 doctors, family doctors, have joined, which is more than 41% of existing family doctors. Interior Health, the Ministry of Health and I, are, uh, are specifically supportive of alternative payment models for those working at this clinic. We are hard at work to ensure that this problem is resolved, this issue is resolved, and that services to expectant mothers and everyone served by the clinic are maintained. Member for Gamaloos, North Thompson. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Well, the crisis at this uh, Thompson Region Family Obstetrics Clinic has been brewing for over a year, and it still hasn't been solved by this government. But once again, they need to get it to a crisis before they'll even acknowledge it. They are continually lurching from crisis to crisis, failing to fix any of them. We've heard about the 45,000 people in Canada without a family doctor, but we have rotating ER closures in Clearwater and Merritt and health centres in Barrier and Ashcroft putting incredible strain on that same hospital in Camels because it is the hospital for the broader region. Just yesterday in Merritt, their ER closed again. And in fact, the community found out after it was already closed. To make matters worse, Mr. Speaker, yesterday, the Coca-Cola between Kamloops and Merritt was a nightmare. It was bad enough when I drove down on a Monday. It was worse yesterday. A senior citizen with pneumonia and her 80-year-old husband had to drive through Kamloops on those roads just to try to seek medical help, Mr. Speaker, through the snowstorm. How much longer will people of Merritt, Kamloops, Barrier, Ashcroft, Williams Lake, Clinton, Cash Creek have to keep suffering at the hands of this government's in, uh, uh, incompetence? And when will this Premier and Minister stop with the platitudes and actually get on with fixing the problem? Minister of Health. Well, Honourable Speaker, uh, this government, and I think everybody in the region, is incredibly supportive of the staff of the Nicola Valley Regional Hospital. I would say this, Honourable Speaker, that what, what occurred yesterday is uh, what has happened from time to time. That's why we're working hard to ensure long-term solutions. It, what happened yesterday was that a staff person uh, at the last minute was unable to attend, that a doctor was unable to attend the ER. And so it was required in order to ensure patient safety uh, to take the action that was taken. And of course, the very roads mentioned by the honorable member affect the people's ability to come in and support that. What's happened in Kamloops, what's happened everywhere during this pandemic is extraordinary work by healthcare workers. There are more net, 70 more working, for example, at Royal Inland Hospital today. The member refers to Clearwater, a problem that we all work very hard to resolve. He talks about closures. There haven't been any closures since Labor Day, Honourable Speaker, because people work together, the community, the healthcare workers, Interior Health, myself, the mayor, everybody, to see that that situation was addressed. And we have to continue to do that. We have 38,000 more healthcare workers than when I was uh, appointed Minister of Health to address the enormous challenges we've had uh, in this period, and especially now during the pandemic, Honourable Speaker. I think those healthcare workers are doing an exceptional job. We have to do more, and that's why we've taken action after action after action to support people in community across British Columbia. Member for Prince George, Wilmont. Well, thank you very much, uh, Mr. Speaker. And no one in this legislature 
uh, is questioning the incredible work that is done by healthcare professionals. What they want this minister to understand is they are burnt out, they are overworked, and they want this minister to stand up and do something to help them. The people of Merritt are worried, and rightly so, and they are fed up that they don't even have the uh, basic medical services. For the minister to say that happens from time to time, he knows full well that emergency rooms across rural British Columbia have closed time after time after time, and in fact, the mayor of Merritt believes that the emergency room will be looking at 50 closures in the next year. That is hardly something that happens from time to time. Let's look at the Eagle Ridge Hospital in Port Moody. It's another example of BC's collapsing healthcare system. Nurses there are compelled to work 26-hour shifts. And they have an emergency department with only the ha half the staff that they require. The minister knows that there are 5,500 nursing vacancies in BC, and that has increased by 25% conveniently over the last 100 days. What British Columbians are experiencing under this premier is that results are getting worse. ERs are closing, people are worried sick about the healthcare system, and what are we doing in the legislature? The NDP is absolutely insistent on filibustering a two-clause bill that everyone in this legislature supports. That is shameful. discussion about the health care crisis, the housing crisis, the affordability crisis, anything other than a two-clause bill. So will the Premier answer to British Columbians today? Lots of talk, little action, and worse results. When is he going to do something that will improve health care outcomes in this province? Premier. Speaker, and I thank the member for the question. I know for British Columbians, uh, access to a family doctor, making sure they have access to emergency care is front of mind uh, for them across British Columbia right now. Uh, we know the impact of the pandemic has been profound on healthcare workers. We know that they're stressed out and burned out and working long hours. Uh, we know uh, that we need to bring more people into the system to get them the support they need. And uh, members will have seen action taken uh, by our government before my time and in the first 100 days uh, since I've been appointed Premier to get those folks into our healthcare system. So first of all, internationally trained nurses, 2,000 nurses tied up at the, at the College of Nurses trying to get approved to work in our healthcare system. They want to work right now. The Minister of Health with the college working to fast track those nurses to get them in instead of two to three years to get into the system, a target of as little as three months to get them into the system. financial barriers that stop them from uh, going to get their skills assessed or paying for the training course to get up to speed. BC nurses who maybe have stopped practicing, uh, covering costs for them to travel to get assessed, covering their assessment costs, covering their training so they can get to work. The same for internationally trained doctors. 
so they can work under the supervision of a BC doctor right away, um, and they're not waiting years to do uh, retraining when they meet those standards, when they're ready to practice right away, fast-track assessment for them through the College of Physicians and Surgeons. Beyond that, the Health Minister talked about the groundbreaking deal with Doctors of BC for family doctors. This is a huge thing, in incenting people to take more patients, to work longer hours, uh, to support more British Columbians and the kind of family practice that people deserve. We are taking those actions. We recognize this is a serious issue in our healthcare system. I took ministers to Ottawa to talk directly with the Prime Minister and key ministers about uh, the issues facing British Columbia where we need a strong federal partner. Health was certainly one of them and then we joined with all the premiers across Canada that are all facing this issue to pressure the federal government on the exact same thing. We're going to keep working for British Columbians every single day until every British Columbian gets the care they deserve. Here we are. The bell ends question period.